This is Geeks Unleashed, episode 46. Welcome to Geeks Unleashed. This is episode 46. I'm Mark. And I'm Jasmine. Each week we cover the news of the week and we pick a couple of things to review that caught our fancy in TV, comics, movies and games. This week's reviews are Sleeping Beauties Volume 1 from IDW Publishing and the Mortal Kombat 2021 movie. And spoiler warning, this is a review show. So if you have not had a chance to read Sleeping Beauties or to watch Mortal Kombat 2021, uh, you might want to pause this and come back later because it's going to be spoiler, 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 spoiler for this episode. Um, And then at the very end, we'll give you a couple of recommendations of our own. We've got a lot to unpack this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, So normally we have a bit of a chit chat. We won't probably go as much into the chit chat world as we normally do. Um, But all I wanted to say was... uh, PlayStation in the last 12 months have been doing the odd free game. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it from their play at home thing. Have you seen it online? Like, I haven't home? turned on my PlayStation since 2019. Oh, well, you've probably missed out on a couple of free games <laughs> in the last 12 months. I got Ratchet and Clank the other day. Oh, uh, fun. Yeah, yeah. I got that for free the other day. They've stopped doing that now. But I don't know if they, oh, I assume that in America and in the UK they're offering the same. But mm. they're offering at the moment the full uh, complete edition of Horizon Zero Dawn um oh. so i downloaded that the other day i uh, sorry downloaded that yesterday and because it was the full edition it comes with the dlc which is 12 as has always been 12 pound extra uh so that's uh, frozen wilds so I, I actually played a little bit of frozen wilds today so, oh you know when i originally bought because uh, i bought it so far after release uh the hmm. version of horizon zero dawn that i bought came with frozen wilds but yeah, so I'm, I'm just constantly keeping an eye on it. I think PlayStation's good, do, do, doing a good thing there with their play at home thing, obviously, because we're all at home. So. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of at home. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, allow that a little bit more. But anyway, is there anything else you want to go? Or do, should we just... Uh, no, let's do it. Let's move right let's into go, it. Let's go straight into yeah. it. There's a lot. There's a lot this week, guys. So first off, rumour. Uh, there's a rumour circulating. I mean, this rumour is kind of kind of built on probably existing rumors already but so there's a website called the hashtag show uh there's speculation that john uh bethnal charlie cox um vincent d'onofrio yeah yeah thanks uh (laughs) christian ritter will all reprise their roles as punisher daredevil kingpin and jessica jones respectively potentially in disney on a disney plus show or mcu movies in phases four or five uh, and five However, the rumours are also saying that Iron Fist and Luke Cage could potentially be recast, which means we'd say goodbye to Finn Jones and Mike Coulter. Which is kind um, of a bummer. I know, like, I'm disappointed by that. Mike Coulter was actually really good. Yeah, I I've, I really enjoyed him as Luke Cage. I, I see no reason to recast. Yeah, not if and, you're going to keep everybody else. Well, I, I just, look, I know Finn Jones was a bit hit and miss with people. I actually quite liked him as Iron Fist. Yeah. Um, but I also know that when um, I'm just finished, ended on a cliffhanger. And if you're bringing them all up. So again, there's sort of talk that their previous Disney adventures will not be recognized. They, you know, they won't acknowledge those shows, um, which again is a disappointment. I can't see why Marvel just don't look at them. I wonder if there's some rights issue. Maybe Netflix have got the rights to the shows and they can't, get the shows or maybe it's a long time before they can get the shows i don't know no i think netflix's biggest mistake 
with that whole Marvel, the their Marvel TV series was in the comics, Iron Fist and Misty Knight are a thing. Um, eventually they have a kid together. And in the TV series, those two characters are so far apart from each other that like they're not even on the same planet as far as like in the in the tv series iron fist is nowhere near misty knight's league like i I could never ever see those two characters as a couple um and i mean them being a couple is kind of like a, a major arc for both of their characters in the comics so if if that's the only good thing i can see here is if if marvel is going to recast that then you can get your characters to a better level playing field to where they actually would match each other as a couple versus finn jones looking like i mean not finn jones but like that version of iron fist looking like misty knight's like pet like seriously he just didn't even seem like he would fit in in her world i would like to see though if they keep the same uh actresses for um uh, misty and um uh Kyle, colin uh wang as well, uh, wing mm-hmm. as well um i love those two actresses and yeah. I, do you know what i would love is like a doors of the dragon tv series yes. like those two together uh, or 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 a power uh heart sorry a, a higher uh heroes for hire he- heroes show. for hire yeah uh, yeah if they had heroes for hire put luke cage iron fist misty knight and colin all into one show and and maybe maybe that's maybe that's why they're considering the recast maybe they maybe they're sitting back going you know what those two just don't seem like they would have any chemistry uh which i think is true i don't think they would have chemistry also they've kind of put iron fist with colleen so it would be a bit sort of bad show really to kind of pair those up like now yeah yeah so but anyway um this kind of follows on from news that charlie cox is rumored to be showing up in spider-man no way home as a as a cameo yes the, I, the I, movie where everybody and their mother is supposedly <laughs> in it so yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't uh, forget even geeks unleashed we have we definitely 100 percent confirmed have an appearance in uh, oh, spider-man yeah, oh, yeah. no way home <laughs> yeah, every, everybody's in that well, yes <laughs> I, I think that he will be there as matt murdoch not daredevil i don't think they'll put him in the superhero world so i think it would be really interesting if matt is who peter goes to for legal support now that yeah. everybody thinks that peter parker is some kind of mass murderer yeah i think i think that would make sense yeah so wilson fisk potentially going to be in hawkeye and echo that's what the rumors are saying but as for the punisher and jessica jones no idea yet yeah so. we'll see we'll yeah. see uh, I, I, I was gonna say I've mentioned this on the podcast a few times. I've been working my way through a rewatch from of the Netflix Marvel shows. I'm currently on the first season of The Punisher. So it's good. Actually, it's actually a lot slower than I remember The Punisher. Like, it is, is, but you know what? Ben Barnes is fantastic in The Punisher. He is fantastic. Yeah, I, I I've been I've been enjoying my rewatch, which makes this news quite annoying that they're not going to recognize those shows but also drop in luke cage and yeah Finn, uh sorry luke cage and uh iron fists and recasting them that'd be I, I think they should just bring them all back i think so too i mean the, the audience is already established uh and if if you're going to do heroes for hire like there's that seems like such a fun show it seems like something that would be perfect for a disney plus tv series heroes for hire because you could do oh. your villain of the week easy Oh, Heroes for Hire would be a really good show for them to do, and they mm-hmm. could easily get away with having that on Disney Plus. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 
Um, in other Marvel news, uh, Russell Crowe and his big mouth has spoiled his surprise appearance in Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, he announced uh, inadvertently, on purpose, accidentally, who knows, he was on a radio show in Australia and he told everyone that he is going to be playing Zeus. So uh, with Love and Thunder, it looks like they really are leaning into that whole big, big gods battle if uh, we've got Zeus in there. So it kind of makes you wonder what other gods they're going to bring in. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to to see that play out. I'm I'm fully behind this film i you know i always give shit to the thor films because i thought that the first two films were absolutely horrendous um but i trust taika watiti's uh judgment as far as him being a director so whatever he's doing i'm i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it a chance so thor love and thunder i'm still not 100 behind natalie portman picking up the mantle not because she's a woman but i just don't see natalie portman as a new thor uh just that's just me i mean i love the idea of jane as thor i do love that idea but natalie portman as jane as thor is not really high on my list of things that i would like to see yeah i i know that it was i know that it went down well when uh jane became thor and took over the title yeah all of the those books i i read the first two issues of that run and those books were fun and great and i loved the way she looked and i thought that she really embodied the character and the characteristics of it but like she it just in general like she doesn't have the physical presence of of someone that is meant to be a, a like big otherworldly kind of character uh and that's i mean you know again what, what do I know? I, I, I do know that Natalie Portman is a fantastic actress. I have loved yeah. her since her time on The Professional. Love that film so very much. Uh, I'm not saying that she can't do it. I'm just saying that she has a very small frame. And I would have liked to have seen someone larger, a larger woman play Thor. Just as someone who is 6'1", uh, I'm always rooting for my tall, my fellow tall women. So. You, I just realized you just called it the professional. I've always called it Leon. Uh, well, yeah, it's Leon, the professional. So yeah, yeah. I, we over here, though, they promoted it as the professional. So uh, yeah, yeah, we got it as Leon over here. Yeah. Um, no, it's just I never heard it called that before. But the moment you said that, I was like, I bet that's Leon. I quickly, quickly looked it up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Leon and the <laughs> so. and uh, oh, yeah, no, I, I loved Leon. Like when that came out, I was like, this Fantastic. is such a good film. Yeah. No, Natalie Portman, I, I'm. I'm sure we'll be good. It's probably going to be one of those things that everyone's a bit like, mm, I don't know, but I bet she, I bet she turns out to be a good Thor. Yeah. Oh, so, I'm sure, but, but... I'm, but after, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm with you though. The first two Thor films, I wasn't overly hot on them. However, Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Was Ragnarok like, was great. That was a game changer. And that makes me, that, and that I think is why probably Chris Hemsworth stayed around because obviously Chris Evans and um, Robert Downey Jr. stepped away. It was, oh. but it was the first time they actually let him be funny. Like, yeah. and Chris Hemsworth is, his comedic timing is phenomenal. He's probably, of all of the actors, and that includes Robert Downey Jr., I think Chris Hemsworth has some of the best comedic timing of any of the actors in the MCU. So when we finally got to see him let loose and be silly as Thor, it changed everything about like the perception that I'd had of Thor the first time, the first two films. So 
that was it was like a complete 180 and then he finally became a character that i actually paid attention to versus just some other dude who was part of the avengers that i really didn't care about mm, yeah and I, i'm looking forward to love and thunder but so jumping across to the other side dc i've released a couple of little bits of news this week for me that i was quite excited about i've i've been really disappointed with the last couple of years of bendis being on superman so I mentioned it last week, actually, that... Um, uh, it's, your, it's your weekly dose of Bendis bashing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but Philip Kennedy Johnson, who took over Superman and Ashen Comics, uh, I read the first two, his first two issues uh, just about a week ago. I was a little bit behind, and I really enjoyed them. So, But they've, they've announced now that the main Superman title, which uh, Philip, is, Philip Johnson Kennedy has been writing, is going to be ending. However, it's going to be rebooted and called superman son of kal-el and it's going to be written by tom taylor and art by john timms and it's coming out on july 13th and it's going to carry the main um uh sorry superman clark kent will no longer be in it but his son jonathan kent will be taking over the book and it'll be about him and him sort of being superman uh, so philip johnson kennedy will stay on action and action will just be about you know our clark kent superman whilst um Superman Kal-El will feature his son. It's out, like I say, it's out July 13th. This is the synopsis. Is this a um, continuation from Future State? So, not a continuation, but I think it's going to, um, I think it's going to almost be leading to what, you know, so Future State was obviously Jonathan Kent being the only Superman, uh, mm. where at the moment Superman will also be around. Gotcha. I'm, I, so I think... So getting us to the future state book that yeah, we yeah okay, okay. you'll never you'll never I don't think you'll ever really ever get there because obviously it's in the future right but 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 and this will and this will be like I imagine it's going to be DC's sort of goal for the next current yeah you know thing for, this. For the, yeah, yeah for the next sort of four or five years will be leading up to a future state and then there'll be some sort of other DC reboot or rejig or something like that so uh, and. Uh, and I'll, I'll come to that in a, in a minute. So the synopsis for this book is um, Jonathan Kent has experienced a lot in his young life. He's fought evil, he's fought evil with Robin, travelled across the galaxies with his Kryptonian grandfather and lived in the future with a legion of superheroes who were intent on training him for the day his father could no longer be Superman. There is a hole in the Legion's history that prevents John from knowing exactly when that will happen, but all signs point to it being very soon. It's time for the son to wear the cape of his father and continue the never-ending battle as a symbol of hope for his home planet. Anyway, I'm quite excited for this, so that, that, that is it. I'm, I, I know there's a lot, a lot of people really enjoying stuff by Tom Taylor at the moment, and yeah, I'm quite, quite excited. So second Superman news... Uh, so there's, this was rumoured ages ago I saw this rumour probably about a month or so ago on Bleeding Cool Superman the Authority miniseries by Grant Morrison and um, Mikhail uh, Janine it's going to be a four issue miniseries first issue uh, will actually be the week after in July the book is basically, and this is a bit what you said it's hot off the heels from Future State mm. and so there will be linkages there and the cast will include Manchester Black. It will also include two original authority characters, Midnighter and Apollo. It will also include M uh, Entrantress and Natasha Irons as new versions of Lightray and Omac. And the book apparently is going to have then impacts on Action Comics and Superman, Son of Kal-El. So 
in case you don't know, The Authority was actually originally a uh, Wildstorm comic book before DC bought DC Comics bought Wildstorm and The Authority used to be a book over there and it obviously had its own cast of characters. Midnight and Apollo were originally Wildstorm characters. The rest on this um, book are DC characters. So it's a bit of a shame there's not more Wildstorm characters in this book, but it's, it's good to see that Wildstorm is slowly being integrated back into DC. So. Yeah. Wasn't there a Wildstorm character in uh, the Batman? The uh, Grifter, Dark Detective? Grifter. Yeah, Grifter. Yeah, Grifter. There we Grifter, go. Yeah. So I think they've slowly been introducing, reintroducing those uh, characters into this, into this DC universe. So that'll be that'll be fun. I used to love Wildstorm. I was a big Wildstorm fan. I used to actually the book I used to love more than anything was um, Gen Thirteen, which was their like teen book. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, that we've not really seen any of them for a long time. But yeah, so anyway, those two Superman bits of news I'm quite excited about. So July, it'd be nice to be excited about Superman again. Yeah. Um, and probably the biggest news of the week, Captain America 4 has been announced. That headline actually ruined the ending of Falcon and Winter Soldier for me. Now, again, granted, you know, we, we are in the entertainment business, so to speak. Not really, but, you know, we, we, we are. Um, so, like, things get spoiled all the time. And I had actually been keeping up, which you guys know I don't usually do. I usually am the binge person. Uh, but I have been keeping up with Winter Soldier week to week, or Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, and this news was, you kind of saw it coming. You kind of knew it was coming because at the very end of Endgame, Cap gives, you know, Falcon the shields. And he's like, you know, I don't need this anymore. So here you go. Knock yourself out. Um, and that so that news hot on the heels of the finale of Falcon and Winter Soldier, which Mark and I were talking about before we started recording the title card that popped up at the very end of the finale that no longer said the falcon and the winter soldier the show now ended on captain america and the winter soldier um i actually i thought this series was so good this the the falcon and the winter soldier was the one mcu tv series that i was looking forward to the most and i have to say it didn't disappoint it was fantastic the the fight sequences from the whole series were great the character development was great one of my favorite parts was in in the finale episode when uh bucky and sam are talking when sam and is trying to like learn how to use the shield and they're just honest with each other and they're having an honest conversation about how Steve had such a huge Steve Rogers had such a huge impact on both of their lives. And I thought it was one of those things that you don't see too much, especially in comic movies, but in, in movies in general is you hardly ever see men talking with each other and just being open and honest and vulnerable about whatever it is that they're talking about. And Bucky was just so straightforward. And he's like, it never, ever occurred to me the implication of what it would mean for you as a black man to pick up the shield and for that, I'm sorry. And it was just, it was simple. There was no bullshit. It was not, you know, there, it was not a funny moment. They didn't insert humor just to kind of lighten the mood. They kind of let those two characters sit in the gravity of what, what Bucky had kind of come to realize over the, over the course of those six episodes. Um, and I thought that was just such an impactful moment because a lot of times that's really all it takes. It's like, man, you know, I was a real dick before and I didn't understand where you were coming from or why you had these reservations. Now that I've seen and heard and listened to what you've had to say, I'm really sorry that I treated you that way because I can I can see why you 
originally said no, but why now you have changed your mind? Um, and I thought that was just, I thought that was such good storytelling to just kind of be like, you know, I was, I was wrong. Like I had no idea what you were going through and I was wrong and <laughs> uninformed. And for that, I do apologize. Um, I loved that sequence. And I loved that because this is, this topic was not something that I thought Marvel would handle well uh, just because it's, it's heavy and it runs deep. And before I even get any further, all of the dude bros and fan bros that like to say, Oh, I hate it when they make my comic books political. First of all, there is no way that you could read a book titled Captain America and not think that it is going to be political. The politics are in the fucking title. Like it's right there in front of you. They don't beat around the bush. The book is called Captain America. What, what, of course it involves politics. We have, you literally, we created a super soldier. Our government created a super soldier to start out by, you know, fighting Nazis and this kind of thing. It's a political book. It always has been a political book. And I was nervous that Marvel was actually talking about race openly, like on screen. It was not just an implied thing. Um, And the interactions between Isaiah Bradley and Sam Wilson in Falcon and the Winter Soldier were so heartfelt and just so deep to the point where you can you can see how hurt Isaiah Bradley was by the way that his government treated him by the way that the government that he had given himself to then treated him by by just doing what they told him to do which is it's almost like you can see the parallels between Isaiah Bradley and John Walker as much as I would hate to admit that but even when John Walker was at his own trial and he said, I I have done everything that you taught me. I have done everything that you have ever asked of me. And it, you know, I don't understand why this is happening. Um, Now, again, what, what John Walker did was wrong. Uh, First of all, just killing that guy in cold blood, but second of all, doing it in public and, and defacing the shield the way that he did. Um, But it's, it's it, it it leads to a whole other conversation which they didn't really get into um but it is something that sam touched on in uh the captain america and the winter soldier when he first meets steve rogers and his he's at his support group and he told steve he's like i left the military because i i didn't know myself anymore and i was tired of other people telling me what to do um and i think that's that's just something that you don't you know, if, if you're not in the military or if you haven't experienced anything like that, it's not really something that a lot of people can relate to. But I thought that the the nuance that they put with it and the actual history that they put behind Isaiah Bradley and, and the secret experiments and all of the test versions of the serum that they used on other soldiers, specifically black soldiers, um, it all goes back to like U.S. history when when we our own, you know, establishments and, and universities like the just. Tuskegee experiments back in the 30s when they first started when they were literally injecting black test subjects without their knowledge as to what was happening um, just to kind of see what kind of reaction they would get so I can understand Isaiah telling Sam there's no way they're ever going to let a black man be Captain America because look at what they did to me Mm. Uh, but I also really love that Sam's comeback was I chose to fight for this country and I'm not going to let anybody tell me that it's not worth me fighting for. Um, so, man, that 
I don't know. I thought that I was surprised, I guess, overall with how how deep Marvel went into that as far as mixing actual real world events and real world's kind of uh, implications and and hurt and pain and history into their, you know, very highfalutin, very comic-y story. Uh, but I also think that they did Carly dirty. I don't think Carly deserved to go out the way that she did. I think, I don't know. I just, it's almost like, why, why did you waste her character? We had, we had five and a half episodes of her kind of being the foil to everything that they were doing. But at the same time, sure. She was going about it the wrong way by blowing up establishments that still had people inside of them, but her message was still valid. Like her message was basically we matter. They made it though that she had to die once she found out about Sharon Carter being the villain. Right, which was um, which was another big twist. I mean, you yeah. could kind of see that they were leaning into her being the power broker, but like I did not think that she would be the one to kill Carly. The moment she found out that Sharon was the power broker, I was like, she's not gonna live. Like <laughs> that's it now. Like, um, <laughs> So, yeah, and then the after credits sort of sequences, Sharon Carter getting reinstated yeah. and, and walking out of um, some political building and, and making a phone call to somebody who, mm-hmm. and I thought... Basically, I she's think, like, yo, man, get the gang together because we got access. Yeah, yeah, I'm back in. And, yeah. Um, so she's still upset with the government for... And I, I did feel a bit sorry for her because when she's like, you know, when they're like, welcome back, and they'll stand, give her an applause. I thought... We should never have been having this conversation. She should never have been right. on the run. Like, you know, if you pardoned everybody else, like if the you pardon Bucky of all people, yeah, there's yeah, no reason right. you should not have pardoned Sharon Carter. Yeah, yeah. So clearly, I mean, you know, it's all you know, on the surface, it's nice that she's just come back with, you know, humble pie and you know, you're gonna take her job back, blah blah blah. Oh, how wonderful. But then she walks out the door and you know, obviously. You don't cut, you almost kind of think, I don't blame you now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I mean, being a little bit pissed, but not for becoming a villain. And um, so, when I, so I, at the time when it ended, I thought, where's this going? Like, you know, with that whole ending thing. And then, literally, about an hour later, that was when they announced uh, Captain was, America well, 4. Yeah. Yeah. So that episode dropped at some <laughs> point in the morning and I was still working. And so, even I saw the news before. Um, I was actually getting so annoyed the amount of people that were sharing stuff all over social media about, yeah. Captain in america and stuff i was like i had to stay off yeah i was trying to stay off social um but still i i ended up spoiling it for myself at the end of the day but it was it was still well worth the watch um i'm glad i kept up with that series it turned out better than i expected it to um and i for one am super excited because honestly i was in the same camp as isaiah bradley you know five years ago if you again i you kind of knew the direction they were going because it always felt like Steve was going to pass it on to Sam, even though we didn't know how before all of the, you know, before uh, the last two Avengers films. But even in my head, I'm like, there's no way they're going to let a black guy be Captain America. Like, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I So I, I had heard ages ago that you, that the films and the Disney Plus se- series are going to be interlinked. Everything that happens in the Disney Plus shows will matter. However, they said that if you go and watch a Disney, uh, sorry, a Disney movie with these characters that have had their own shows, you wouldn't need to have watched it. Mm-hmm. So that did, so there's a lot happened in the last six episodes. It kept making me think, how are they going to just Bucky and Falcon to show up? A lot has happened. Yeah. But then I so where where the show finishes with 
with um, Anthony Mackie, Anthony Mac. Anthony Mackie's split out um, Falcon character becoming Captain America, and like you said, the title card comes up saying Captain America and the, uh, the Winter Soldier. I thought to myself, do you know what? The, if you think about it, the last time you saw the Falcon on the big screen was getting past the shield by right. Captain America. Right. Now, not everybody's going to watch this show, and I know there's a lot of people I know like haven't watched the show, mm-hmm. like because they they like the movies and not bothered about the shows. Um, so the next time they'll see, probably watch it, is Captain America 4. And they're just going to assume Steve's hand in the shield, you know, maybe maybe yeah. years gone Some by. Some things have Captain happened, America. but... He... Yeah, but it's not relevant. Right. Yeah, yeah. However, this series, although you could go into Captain America 4 and you'll just see him become Captain America 4, this series was the Falcon's origin story to becoming Captain America. Right. And it, and it is a really worth a show worth watching. I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably watched this show. But if you haven't, I would really recommend it. If you enjoyed watching Endgame and um, Infinity War and the and the two Captain America films that, that Anthony Mackie's in as, right. as the Falcon, definitely go and, go and watch this. Now, the first time that you get to see uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier interact is because Sam has decided that he is siding with Steve Rogers in Civil War. And in Civil War, when they go to get Bucky, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan had the most hilarious offbeat chemistry of any two characters in the MCU um, until Tom Holland's Spider-Man showed up in that same film. Like they were so entertaining. They played off of each other so well. So this series, the six, six part series really plays up to their differences, but the fact that they're so different that that's why they work so well together as a team. Um, and even at the very, very end, they're they're both kind of like, well, well, it's the fifth episode before, you know, the big finale. Um, uh, Bucky is like, well, j- you know, as soon as you get a lead, you call me. And uh, Sam is like, yeah, but we're not a team. And Bucky's like, yeah, no, we're not a team. He was like, maybe partners. And then uh, Sam was like, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> but they're just really funny together. So this this series, yes, while it does not necessarily have to get you from point a to point b like it gives you that depth of knowledge of a character that just kind of endears the character to you a little bit more so that when you do watch captain america 4 you know how hard sam fought with himself and with everyone around him to finally take up the shield and and take the mantle of captain america it's funny you mentioned tom holland um because when the news got announced about captain america 4 anthony mackie I don't know if you ever saw them get an interview, Tom Holland and Anthony Mackie sitting next to each other and they're both giving each other some stick. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. And uh, and then um, and then uh, Tom Holland says to him something like, oh, I love that Falcon movie. Oh, no, there isn't one. Like, and then Anthony Mackie's like, oh, you know, like, yeah. you can tell you can tell they're clearly friends and yeah. each other a bit of stick. And I was thinking, ah, Tom Holland, there you go. He's about to get, he's, he's going to have his movie now. So yeah. there you go. So um, Anthony Mackie will be on the same show uh same footing as uh tom holland now and yeah and he's had his own disney plus show which tom holland hasn't had so yeah dun, dun, dun. Uh, and, and it will and he'll never be able to have one well i don't think sony's ever going to let him have a disney plus tv show so, so anyway yeah I, I like you though i show your sentiments i think captain america sorry, sorry winter soldier captain america uh the falcon movie uh, tv series sorry uh getting all my words confused there <laughs> i thought it was i actually really loved the six episodes i was kind of almost disappointed when it ended yeah but i loved seeing the growth actually because 
I think we, we mentioned this before we started recording, the Falcon was a good sidekick. And actually these six episodes have given us the context and actually the believability that he is now Captain America. Yes. So over the six episodes, we saw him go from sidekick to the star. Right. And actually the bond between the Winter Soldier and the Falcon, who then obviously becomes Captain America, wasn't natural and mm-hmm. it, it it took work between those two yeah and and you know actually although the winter soldier had a psychiatrist that was appointed by the government the psychiatrist he actually needed was captain america but captain america wasn't around because mm-hmm. the falcon hadn't become captain america yet yeah so by the time the show ends we've got you know falcon has really had to take a look at himself to become the yes. man steve believed he could be and when he became that man, you could see the relationship between the Winter Soldier and Falcon had very much changed. Mm-hmm. And as they're walking away together, sort of, you know, Bucky pats him on the back. And, and I thought these two now have become not just partners, like friends. They're, yeah. They are a team now, but they yeah. weren't a team six episodes ago. Right. So when but, he but he, America, Anthony Mackie, well, Anthony Mackie, Sam Wilson also told Bucky, like, you have got to stop looking to other people for self-assurance like you have got to find it within yourself Mm -hmm. you can't keep looking to steve and you can't keep looking to the captain america ideal to figure out who you are you have to figure that out for yourself but that's the kind of thing that he needed and his psychiatrist Mm -hmm. wasn't well if if you look at his psychiatrist she i mean obviously great character great actress everything you know and it's but she was obviously designed to be flawed as a psychiatrist because the falcon was what you know bucky needed he needed mm-hmm. he needed he needed um bucky needed really someone just to tell him just get on with it basically you yeah know, which is probably what she, she was blunt to him but maybe she just wasn't blunt enough yeah and, um but no i i think when when captain america four starts i'm actually really pumped for captain america four i think yeah. captain america four is gonna be really good especially now that we've had almost like the origin story which we needed so yeah to, to i think to try and cover off this level of story in a movie would have been rushed so um, you know, i think it was good it was good well done yeah so we'll move on to our first review which is um sleeping beauties the first six issues of five. eight it was actually was it, only sorry, five. five was it five yeah sorry, it's six. only five i thought it was six yeah. it's only five Oh, okay, apologies. First five issues then of a 10-issue series. So it's from IDW Publishing, which is based off of the novel Sleeping Beauties by Stephen King and his son Owen King. It was adapted by Rio Urez, I think. Uh, and the art is by Alison Sampson. So the movie, uh, sorry, I keep, saying, keep going to say movie. The book was based, um, sorry, the book that it's based off was from the year 2017. She has the same title. Which it's you would a- never know with a pandemic that's playing out in this comic book. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it takes place in a small town called Dooling, which I really loved. The, 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 name of the, the name of the town I actually really loved. I thought it's a nice little small Towny name. Mm-hmm. Like, did you think that as well? Like I did. I thought like Dooling is kind of like a nothing name, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't pay attention to the name at all. I mean, the uh, the, the setting kind of reminded me of. Uh, I I don't think they ever specifically mentioned it, but it kind of reminded me of like the Appalachia region in the U.S., uh, which is like sort of Kentucky, West Virginia, that kind of area. 
but like the the this book was really kind of giving me some justified vibes like it it had that small town but like there's definitely some messed up stuff going on in the small town kind of vibe yeah so so the book begins with this sort of strange naked woman climbing down a tree next to a snake which i think is very obviously trying i feel like it's trying to be like bible-ish you know yeah well her name is eve yeah no i know but i mean even before you get to the name like you know naked woman snake garden tree you know it's all very it's all very bible type thing like it's it's all very obvious there's this if if anything this book is not subtle and that's not a bad thing but it's just there's there's no real subtlety in the book like it flat out tells you like it does feel very like it's running like parallels to mm-hmm. biblical biblical stories that we've seen before and there's a lot of people that have done biblical stories this, and this is just another sort of take on a biblical story um and then the, the first first few issues definitely jots around different groups of people mm-hmm. and the first group of people i actually love this conversation the sort of two or three pages in and we're greeted to two ladies in prison and mm-hmm. um and i just loved how they the one of them said you know, do you ever watch the the light through the window? Because they've got small, obviously in prison cells, sometimes you get a small window because, you know, you don't want it to be too big in case they break out. And so, <laughs> um, but I love how she makes a little reference about how the light moves across the the sort of the ceiling all the way on the floor throughout the day. And I just thought that that's just something that like me and you take for granted, just being able to go in the garden and, you know, walk around and stuff like that. And that must yeah. be something that does dwell on prisoners, like you know, because you know, I can't. I don't know how much there is to do in a prison. I know they get them to clean and they get them to do chores and stuff like that, but there and there must be a lot of self reflection time mm-hmm. and just dwelling on things that you would not normally dwell on, like sitting there all day and watching the light move across the floor. Yeah, so, and I thought the perfect foil to that was her cellmate was just kind of like, I don't have time to watch light on the floor. Yeah. And I thought that was really funny just to kind of show exactly what you're trying to describe. It's like, you know, self-reflecting time and this, that, and the other, whereas the other person is just like, who gives a shit? Basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. She was, she was like, she made a reference about how she's in her mind imagining that she's somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So, which, which again, kind of is something that starts to happen in the yeah. book. Like, so it goes back to this naked woman who, very quickly you realize is not helpless some, some sort of crazy <laughs> yeah right? so naked woman rolling through the forest walking through the forest decides to kill some meth heads um which why, why not i guess like yeah. no, um <laughs> no no real big loss to society well i mean, well it should never kill anybody but like you know um <laughs> it, it, she just very callous just flicks the gas on and stuff like that and yeah so and then we sort of kind of whiz through the town and we get to sort of meet the the sheriff of the town who's female which is important because of how this book goes and you know then we get to see i guess you know the method the method murder that we we, we sort of talked about and and then you see the first signs of somebody waking up with sort of cobwebby type things on them um Mm -hmm. which is something which as we get into will happen later but anyway so this lady eve is walking down the street only wearing a 
flannel shirt, uh, very country esque, I felt, uh, <laughs> co- covered covered in blood, and the, and the police have found one of the the meth heads, um, one of the one of the ladies in the um, uh, the place where she kills everybody, and they're driving down the street and they see the lady and uh, she's like, that's that's the person who did all the murder, and um, they decide to take her to the prison rather than the actual uh, right because there's station. a psychiatrist at the prison. Yeah, yeah, but because that, even even the sheriff can tell, like she is not all there. Like there is definitely something wrong with this woman. But I think I think that's quite clearly the road they're going to go down for. I think getting her in the prison was a quick way. I I don't know. I don't obviously have not read the book. You know, maybe they took it to the station first before the prison, but the prison is where they'll need to be because things are going to start escalating very quickly uh in the, in the in the comics as they as they do because towards the end of those five issues yeah it, it's gonna gonna hit the fan this and, thing and, uh, starts off very like hippie-esque quiet allegory and then it very quickly turns into holy shit what is happening in this town so the the actual um prison has a female um warden warden yeah i forgot the name and um she she's you know I quite like her. She's very badass, like you know. Mm-hmm. And, when, and and as things go on, actually, I'm I quite liked the fact that she was as badass as she was. So one of her um, prisoners, uh, not prison prison guards, unfortunately, he's a sex pest, and um, yeah, she has to fire him. But they're quite just quite brutal about it. Like, yep, you're gone. That's it. You know, and he he doesn't like going out, but. And then one of the other guys that works works for her just gives him a punch on the way out, and she 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 covers it up, going, "Oh, he slipped on the rug." Yeah, like, like, <laughs> darn, so. he slipped. Can you help him up and get him out of here, please? Thank you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, uh, and then and then we we go back to some lady who's drinking far too much and and just sort of passes out. But the moment she passes out suddenly all these cobweb things start to come from mm-hmm. her eyes, which we saw a little bit of earlier, but now and, th- and th- now it's obviously becoming a thing. And then when we go back to the prison, one of the prisoners is in the um in the hospital in the in the prison hospital, completely head is covered in cobwebs. Mm-hmm. So throughout throughout the issue as well, you're hearing more and more about this sleeping virus that's in Australia, then it's in Hawaii, and now it's hit America, and they've they've got sort of different nicknames for it, including the Aurora uh, virus. And then, and, and I know you've put a comment here about the, the Asian fainting flu and things like that, and uh, which it's quite weird that this book was written in 2017, way before COVID-19 happened, and some of the geometry names that were used to describe COVID, which I'm sure people have already heard. We don't need to go into that now, but it's kind of a little bit ahead of its time. This book, although only only by two years, but just to hear that they the things that Stephen King and his son had already started to consider how people may react to a virus spreading around the world. Mm-hmm. So this virus it only affects women, and women fall into a sleep that cannot be woken up from as the book is going on, and when they fall into this sleep. They get this cocoon type spider web thing that, that starts to sort of come from their eyes and, and goes around their head and sort of passes around their body and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And eventually it's like a big cocoon. 
Yeah, yeah. And as you're, uh, as we sort of get into the second issue, it's becoming more sort of sort of bigger. And the second issue kicks off with somebody ripping the uh, cocoon open around their mother. Um, and this isn't explained by the time the fifth issue finishes. But if you wake any woman up, doesn't matter whether it's a child or an adult or anything like that, these people go crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they, they, it's almost like they, it's almost like they're not there. That's probably the that, and that's something I actually started to wonder is, is it just the body waking up? Like mm-hmm. you know, are they not actually there? Like it's sort of almost like a an animal. Like that's kind of it. Just to me, like didn't feel like they were really there. So you see it a few times where people make the mistake of ripping the cocoon open, and so this second issue starts with the son ripping the cocoon off his mother and. She ends up killing him with a glass bottle. <laughs> so it was brutal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This story isn't really for children, but most Stephen King stories aren't for children. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, uh, so yeah, oh uh, yeah. I don't. I, I don't think. Can I've you imagine read... your mom reading The Shining to you before bed? <laughs> I would never sleep. I think there was only one thing. No, no. There was some brutal in there. He, his time travel thing with the. Um, John F. Kennedy, Stephen King. Have you, do you know the one I'm talking about? The oh, it's, it's got like a numbers like eleven sixty six something or other. It's a Stephen King story from quite a few years ago, and they adapted it into a miniseries. There's a few brutal bits in that actually. I think most Stephen King stuff is there's something there. So yeah. Um, but anyway, so the story starts to evolve. Different women everywhere, but we become quite highly concentrated around the prison. So even the guards, uh, so the prisoners start talking to the guards, saying, "Look." If we all fall asleep, or more and more people are going to start falling asleep, you're going to have more and more prisoners that are going to get panicky. So, look, we're kind of going to have to team up a little bit here. Initially, the guards are a bit like defensive, mm-hmm. but I think they were like, "Look, we're all in this together. We can make some sort of." They made some speed-induced special... coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, you know, yeah. we can make some special coffee. Yeah, and uh, to keep everybody going. But let's be honest, that, that's. That's not going to last you too long. And that's, that's the thing. Like they don't really have to give you a timeline in this book. Like if the thing, if the Aurora virus hits you while you're sleeping, I mean, people can only go 48 hours maybe without sleeping. I mean, max like, so, well, no, there, there, there is records of people that have, um, have stayed awake for like 40 days and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, like, I actually didn't want out of curiosity. The longest ever stayed awake. Hold on. 264 hours. Which yeah, is nobody days. in this book stays up that long, though. Yeah, yeah. Like, so uh, I'll tell you a quick story about myself. About 10 or 12 years ago, I was awake for two or three days. Okay. Um, didn't have any sleep. That, and it wasn't deliberate. I had the worst cough like I ever, probably ever in my life. And and it was worse every time I laid down, basically, because obviously, you know, the mucus and stuff just build up on your lungs and all that. And every time I tried to sleep, it was just cough, cough, horrendous cough. 
and I'd like to, you know, obviously kept waking me up and like I tried to try to sleep sitting up, but just nothing, you know, nothing, you know, I, I gave up in the end. I remember actually it was the first time I ever read Scott Pilgrim and um, like the first volume. In the end, it had been sitting on my shelf for ages and I was like, it was like three in the morning the first night and I was like, well, what can I do? Like, so I just started reading. I remember going to work at seven in the morning that day because I was like, I, I did consider whether to ring an ill and I was like, well, what am I going to do? Just sit at home coughing all day. So I just went to work and um, I remember the next night um it was actually that was a thursday night the next night was a friday night and i remember um some of my friends had a party so they said like and i was like okay i'll come along because at least everybody will be up late and i won't be on my own um but i remember like driving home from that i didn't drink i remember driving home from that party and at this point now i'm like 48 hours plus without sleeping and i remember like as i was pulling into my road starting to like see things like that just uh -oh. there like and um and so i think probably I, I did sleep eventually that night, but it was about five in the morning. I eventually fell asleep. But I, that, and that's the only time I've ever had that where I've not slept for over two days. And I just like, when I was reading this book and seeing these ladies coming up with this special coffee thing, I was thinking, okay, that's fine. You're going to give probably people another 12 hours. And then what? Maybe you could probably do another couple more batches. Maybe you could get people maybe into five days without sleeping. But you, the, you know the human body needs to sleep like, mm -hmm. and so these ladies in this prison actually keeping them awake is probably the worst thing that you could do so in the end people are going to start losing their minds from the lack of sleep right and i know they're saying people are going to lose their minds from the fear six days you lie. can legally be declared insane from six days well, of not sleeping well, i mean i just i i get it it was just a way of trying to prevent the inevitable and there's a few people that do in the end like embrace the inevitable like the sheriff she just decides you know what it's just coming for me anyway so she kind of lays back the warden unfortunately does get somebody stick some drugs in her coffee or whatever and she ends up just falling asleep um so you know you're gonna you're gonna see more pretty much every woman in the end is gonna be asleep in this mm -hmm. cocoon type thing uh, and that's it got me thinking a little bit about the book why the last man by um uh what's his name um brian, brian k vaughan, vaughan. Mm -hmm. yeah brian k vaughan so i read all 60 issues of that where it was the opposite way around the well all the men died other than one and we had a society of women so this is where this book is kind of going a little bit although the women aren't dying they're going into cocoons but it's going to become a male only society however you're going to have this one female in this prison that's still alive um sorry still awake <laughs> slash alive and but however she's just nuts and she does kind of make a deal with with somebody in the prison and says you have to keep me alive you know until next life. tuesday so it's yeah. like five days yeah and he's but like she, what the hell why well she she knows that things are going to go yes like, hey, hey, shit. and more and more people are starting to find out that she's awake and all the other women are yeah, well, she's falling asleep and waking up. She's having normal natural Right, she's, sleep. she's being completely normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And people are coming to the prison asking about her, and that's going to escalate. The more and more people find out there's a woman awake, people will have their own agendas. Like, And there's some sickos out there that are quite happy to go and gather up all these women's bodies and stuff like that. And, and one of them, towards the end of this five issues, wants to set one of them alight. Um they actually uh, have uh, a fire brigade it yeah. gets to the point where it's been so long that now all the women are sleeping and uh, the men have decided that the best course of action 
because of misinformation, which I thought was really interesting. Now, the original book was written in 2017, and this adaptation just started coming out the at the end of last year, so like November, October, November. Uh, I don't know how much of actual COVID events made it into into the comic adaptation, but uh, it starts with misinformation. So a fake doctor profile on Facebook is starting to spread this information that says these women are not safe. They're not doing well. And the only way to, to help them and to stop the spread of this virus is to burn the bodies because inhaling the cocoon fibers or whatever uh, is what actually spreads it. So of course, some of the men take this and they run with it. They create these fire brigades. And now you have fire brigades running around the country, literally breaking into people's homes and taking the women, throwing them in carts and wheelbarrows and, and loading them up onto trucks and then just mass burning the bodies while these women are still alive mind you so because they don't allude too much in this five issues they show little scenes and it's quite cool at the end where um show you know sort of one of them just drops off and then instantly the next page you see her again in this strange world Mm -hmm. so sort of like the upside down from Stranger Things, where it's it's oh, yeah, a yeah, parallel yeah. version of the the world that they're already in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. they basically fall asleep, but the moment they fall asleep on Earth, they wake up somewhere else. Mm-hmm. However, they wake up together. So you see them, you see two of the people that knew each other in the in the real world suddenly together. Uh, I think it's one of the prisoners in the ward, um, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, and the, the sheriff. Ward. Yeah, the sheriff, yeah. Um, so you see them all sort of together and, and speaking to each other and stuff like that. But you don't know where this place is. And I believe I, I would believe that Eve has probably come from there um, mm-hmm. because because the tone, the art style was sort of very similar to when we see her in the beginning coming from the tree and stuff like that. Yeah. So some I feel like this whole thing is some sort of test. That's kind of how it again it could be some and that's where it sort of felt like it was very biblical mm-hmm. so I, I enjoyed these first five issues i you know i thought it was a good premise like i say it's kind of almost the opposite of why the last man yeah. and i thought it was a, it was a good exploration i'm a little bit disappointed here that it's only been 10 issues but then maybe we could have a coherent story from start to finish yeah but i, I i'm assuming the last five are going to be more like the end game but yeah. i would probably like maybe an, just an extra five just more to explore how badly us men are going to like f, <laughs> f the world up. F the world up. Uh, like, my guess is is pretty bad. I mean, you guys yeah, are already like stealing bodies and setting them on fire. Oh, so oh, yeah, yeah. Like it's only because again, I was thinking about why the last man where we had sixty issues to flesh out a world of just women. Mm-hmm. So it would have been quite cool to have seen us flesh out the world of just men yeah uh, and almost just being polar opposite of brian k Vaughan's story just to see what happens yeah so, i uh, it reminded me of the film annihilation uh that film with uh, natalie portman and um jennifer jason lee and um tessa thompson it, it because like when in annihilation there's this anomaly that pops up and they send teams of people into the anomaly to figure out what's going on. And everyone who goes in comes out different. And that's kind of what this reminded me of, where it's like these these women are, you know, th- through no fault of their own, they're being sucked into this thing. And when they get there, it's like, 
it kind of like the way that it looks in the books, the way that it feels, it feels like some sort of paradise. It's very lush. There's plenty of greenery. There's lots of nature. Um, some of the spots that did have like cars and that kind of thing, they're overrun with like flowers and earth and, and almost like they had been there so long that the trees and everything had grown over the objects that humanity had left behind. So it's, it's interesting to see this other place. That's what I wish there had been at least a little bit more of a tease of in these first five issues. Um, we know that they're waking up in this place. We know that they're still alive, but like, you know, like I said, to me, it reminded me of the upside down kind of like you're, you're in this place. And at, at one point, uh, one of the women that wakes up in this place can hear someone singing to her. And she's like, she looks at another woman and she's like, do you hear singing? And the other woman is like, yeah. Um, so it's, it's close enough or dimensionally close enough. You know, they don't explain any of that, but it's, it's close enough that you can still feel some connection to, uh, you know, the, the present times. Uh, so I definitely am very interested to see what this other world is like or what this other place is like. Um, but I thought some of the writing toward the middle was really interesting. There's one, one whole page where that uh, Mark was talking about the guard that got fired from the prison earlier for, uh, for raping the inmates. He then, after he gets fired, he goes to his house. He lives with his mother. Um, his mother has obviously fallen asleep. So she is completely covered in the cocoon stuff. And he literally blames his mother uh, for his shitty life, then sets the house on fire with her still inside of it. And the overlay, so there's his dialogue, and then there's the overlay of sort of Eve's narration of the sequence of events that's happening around the world. And her narration says, there are dangerous men out there, bad men, and they're going to do bad things. Maybe they feel threatened, or they feel like they're owed something. Or Maybe they're scumbags who blame women for their every misfortune and see Aurora as some kind of open season. You can't stop them all. They're just too many. But it's going to be up to the good men to stand strong and protect everything that they value. Um, and I think that's definitely going to be interesting to see play out because we see there's so many parallels to me, like in, in the way that women are treated just in general. So this, this book has a lot, again, it's not subtle. This is not kind of a subtle indoctrination. This book is basically like you treat women like shit. Um, and you know, the consequences of those actions are why Eve showed up in the first place, so to speak. Um, so I, I would definitely pick up the second volume just to see where it's going. I did kind of cheat and uh, look at Wikipedia about the original book. I'm not going to spoil that part for you. Uh, but yeah, I would, I would keep reading this. Yeah, I want to see the second half of this, definitely. What do you think about the art? I liked it. It was, uh, it was soft, um, not too detailed. It was kind of messy. It was very colorful. Um, it really kind of fit the... Fine. Oh, yeah, it fit the odd tone of the book. Not, I'm yeah. not that the, me calling it an odd tone is bad. I think that was, it, it fit the book perfectly. Is, yeah, is I, probably I the best way to say it. My my thoughts on this were, like, um, so like if you have a normal superhero type book, you can have sort of generally quite colorful mm -hmm. costumes and and don't even necessarily need the detail. And this book wouldn't have suited that. This was this hat. This was a. I, th I felt that odd was sorry the, odd, the art was slightly odd 
but it fit the tone of this book yes. and it definitely wouldn't have worked on say an right. x-men book or something no. like that and the the artwork and the coloring were very much suited to this story mm-hmm. and I, I enjoyed the artwork and everything but i definitely don't think it's something that you'd see you'd see it more on a serious book that's i think something serious is where this artwork works best yeah and i love that all of the art even the um alternate covers of the the other issues uh were all drawn by women yeah yeah i yeah um yeah so um i anyway i really enjoyed it and i'm really keen to, to continue on Karen, I'm reading it basically. So I'm a little bit intrigued whether to read the book sometimes just to see if there's more detail in that book as to this world that they've, they've sort of built around you. But with it being comics, if it's popular enough, you know what will happen. They'll just put another comic on there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so we, we, we were quite nice, generous with our ratings. We gave the art four out of five and the writing four out of five. So yeah, we like Sleeping Beauties. All right. Let's move on. Moving on. It has begun. Mortal Kombat. These are your champions. I'm Sonya. That's Kano. I'm Liu Kang. Thanks, Jax. Kung Lao. Lord Raiden. The fate of Earth is in our hands. Mortal Kombat, based on the 1992 Midway game by Ed Boon, John Tobias. This 2021 film is directed by Simon McCoy. It is a screenplay from Greg Russo, Dave Callahan. The story is also by Greg Russo and uh, Oren Uziel. It stars Louis Tan, Jessica McNamee, Josh Lawson, uh, Tadanobu Asano, Makad Brooks, Ludi Lin, Chin Han, Joe Taslim, and uh, Hiroyuki Sonata. I love this movie so much. Uh, <laughs> I told I had told you guys on the podcast last week. I said I didn't care what happened. I'm probably going to give this movie a five out of five. I am a massive, like early stage Mortal Kombat fan. Um, I always played this game with cousins and with friends, so it's always been the kind of thing. Like we, I didn't go to arcade so my first time ever playing this game was on a super nes um so but like it always brings back memories of of family time and fun time my cousins and i played this game so much that we literally spent years and years ribbing each other and having tournaments around christmas and other holidays like we all love this game so much um, and it's it's funny that they turned it into a film in the first place back in 95, I think, was the first film, um, because there's literally no plot. The plot of the first video game is Shang Tsung is having a tournament. Uh, he is the, you know, in charge of fighters in one realm and Raiden is in charge of the fighters in this other realm. Uh, and, you know, Shang Tsung's people have already won nine in a row. They got one more to go and then they can take over the earth. That's, that's the plot. That's it. That's literally all you get in the game. Um, so this movie kind of does a little deeper. Now, that was 92. There have been another 10 <laughs> Mortal Kombat games after that. Uh, we are up to Mortal Kombat 11 at this point. Uh, so 20, almost 30 years of game development there. Uh, by now, in the Mortal Kombat games, we do have story. There is story mode. A lot of these characters have had backstories created. A lot of these uh, fighters 
interact with each other. There's actual plot to the games in addition to just fighting each other. So the the series itself has come a long way. And I think this movie does a great job of sort of taking the original concept of fighters thrown together into a basically impossible situation, um, but giving them at least a sliver of a story. I'm not going to say a full story because I don't think anybody gets a full story in this version. Um, we counted, I think, 11. I think there are 11 fighters in this, including Shang Tsung and Raiden. Uh, that's that's a lot. I think uh, Mark had said earlier, he, he kind of got, he thought that was too many characters to introduce in the first film, which, you know, in a normal film, I, I think that would make sense. But it didn't feel like too many to me because the first film um, also had uh, 11 fighters. Uh, but, you know, the, the first game only had seven. There were only seven playable characters in the first game. So knowing that there are up to 36 characters or 37 Mortal Kombat characters at this day and age, eh, it feels like not that many. Like you you brought in 11. Yeah, well, you still, you know, you still got 20 or so to go. So um, I don't think it feels crowded, but I am I understand that I am completely biased. And I have a hard time turning my bias off for this. It it has been one of my favorite films since 1992. So <laughs> I have a very long history of uh, Mortal Kombat love in, in my blood. Um, so basically this story starts off with the backstory for Scorpion, who is arguably one of the most popular characters of the entire series. Um we, it's, they don't really give you a time frame. We just know it was several centuries before present day. So opens up with, uh, he was not called Scorpion at the time. It's uh, the Hiro Hizashi estate. He's one of the most famous and most deadly ninjas in Japan. Um, so he's on his estate, basically just like having a normal day. They're in the garden. They're, him and his wife are planting things. His... Uh, his son is out there with them. He's trying to, you know, teach him that kind of stuff. So then all hell breaks loose. Now, what I thought was really interesting is uh, Mortal Kombat, uh, HBO and Warner Brothers actually released the first seven minutes of the film last week uh, to kind of get people hype. And that was a really smart move because the first seven minutes of this film are fantastic. They're unlike most video game films i would say it's because it's very story heavy we come in uh he again he you know uh his ashi is on his compound he's minding his own business and then they get invaded by these other forces uh we realize eventually that it's uh bihan and bihan is sub-zero and the prophecy that is laid out sort of the the film giving credence to the um uh, game story the prophecy that's laid out says that Shang Tsung's empire or Shang Tsung's uh, outworld is going to fall due to this particular uh, Japanese ninja's bloodline so Shang Tsung sends Sub-Zero out there this is before Sub-Zero has his Sub-Zero name um, so he sends Bihan out there to erase the bloodline so that there is no challenge to the throne well that was a hell of a fight, uh, I gotta say. Uh, Sub-Zero is ruthless. I mean, absolutely ruthless. Um, uh, the 
so, so Scorpion has two kids and when all hell breaks loose, his wife has the wherewithal to kind of hide the baby and um, the baby is his, his daughter, but the son is old, too, too big to fit under the floorboards where she hid the baby. So she tries to get away. They don't get away. And he just ends up kind of freezing them and no qualms about it at all. When Hanzo sees that his family has been murdered, he loses his mind. He picks up a, a, a garden, a handheld hoe, a handheld shovel. It's a small, sharp gardening tool. Picks it up, ties a rope to it, and proceeds to kill all of the footmen that have come with Bihan uh, to his estate. And in in wonderful, lovely, gory Mortal Kombat fashion, of course, there is stylized blood flying everywhere. I mean, people get stabbed in the head, in the face. Like it, it's it is gory and it is spectacular if you are a fan of the games. Um, so that's a great fight. Then it's finally just Bihan and Hizashi, and it's just kind of. It's funny to me because Bihan can speak Japanese, but he chooses not to speak Japanese to Hisashi. So he speaks to him in Chinese. And even though Hisashi can't understand him, he says, I can't understand the words you're saying, but I tell you what, man, I'm going to kill you. Um, and yeah, he doesn't quite get there. Like they, they fight and it is brutal and it is bloody. And basically they're, they're just kind of... Uh, Bihan is fighting for someone else, whereas Hisashi is fighting like to avenge his family. He falls short, unfortunately, which which kind of surprised me because I didn't expect I didn't expect him to lose. Which you know I didn't I didn't watch the first seven minutes when it came out last week. I was trying to save it all for the movie at one time. Um, so the 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 Scorpion fan in me was like, ah, there's no way Scorpion's gonna go out to some zero like that. Anyway. Um, he loses, but it's it's kind of brutal. Uh, like he loses, he crawls back to he can finally hear his uh, his baby crying. So he's trying to crawl back to the house. He dies before he makes it to the house. And when he dies, you can see he had uh, the sort of dragon circular dragon symbol. Uh, sort of looked like it was burned into his forearm. Well, when he died, his body became engulfed in flames, and he literally just kind of disintegrated. And right after he disintegrates, that's when Raiden shows up. And so Raiden takes the baby and hides the baby for centuries. So Bihan goes back to out the outworld and reports back that, okay, the bloodline, the Hisashi bloodline is, is taken care of. We don't have any issues. You know, we should be good to go. So then we fast forward to present day, 400, 500 years later, who knows? Um, and we get Louis Tan. Well, Louis Tan's character is Cole Young. Now, before this movie came out, when I realized that there was no Johnny Cage in this film, my first thought was, oh, well, maybe they're going to make it so that Louis Tan is like Johnny Cage's illegitimate child some kind of way. So I, I was trying to make make a descendant connection in <laughs> before the movie came out. I, uh, I, I was wrong, but not too far off base because turns out Louis Tan's character is a descendant of... Hisashi. So the bloodline did live on because Raiden hid the baby. Um, so that that's interesting because he he's a fighter. He's not very good. He's not bad, but he's not good. He's just kind of a mediocre punching bag for most of the other people. His backstory is kind of just eh. I mean, I don't honest, honestly, me, uh, I'm, I don't care. I'm not watching this film for anybody's backstory. I'm watching this film for the fatalities and for the, for the fight sequences. 
Um, but basically it kind of jumps right into it. So we get Cole, he's fighting. Uh, we see Jax at his fight. Jax is played by McCad Brooks. Uh, Jax comes up to him after the fight. He's like, Hey man, you know, I just had a question. Like, where do you get that tattoo from that? The symbol that you have. And he's like, his daughter is like, Oh, he was born with it. And of course, Jax is working with Sonya. It turns out they're trying to find other champions because that's what the symbol means. Uh, so I thought it was interesting that this film took the concept of chosen fighters and turned it into the, the way that these fighters are chosen is because of this supernatural brand that appears on them. Um, most of the other people that get the brand got it because they killed someone else that had one. And so when you kill the person that has one, it transfers to you. So everybody thought it was really interesting that he was born with it, whereas everyone else's mark sort of appeared uh, at a later date on their own bodies. Um, I thought what, what this film did well was kind of explain away some of the supernatural things that happen. Um, because the whole point of Mortal Kombat is Earthrealm uh, and its human fighters have to take on Outworld and, and their superhuman monsters uh so but it's an unfair advantage because you know how can someone with no powers end up fighting someone that has powers so the way that they kind of explain that away is oh everybody has an akana built into them so like when you awaken that spirit within you or that you know that fire within you that's how you get your ability and so I'm not sure that I really buy into that, but I don't really care. Like, I just, I want to see, I want to see them shooting fireballs out of their hands. And I want to see them, like, I, I want to see the fights. I am watching this film because I want to see fights and fatalities. And, and I'm just being completely honest with you guys. So story, uh, the story additions, I can appreciate them because I can see that they're trying to make it make sense. Does it make sense? Not exactly, but I'm, I'll, I'll allow it. So we get to, um, Jax ends up trying to help Cole and his family. They get stopped by Sub-Zero. Sub-Zero um, is too powerful to fight. Uh, Jax ends up saying, hey man, take the car, get your family out of here, get them to safety. I, I'll, I'll try to distract him. If, if, if anything happens to me, go find Sonya. So of course, Jax ha is no match for Sub-Zero. So he loses both arms, which was brutal and awesome um eventually cole finds sonia i didn't like this sonia blade as much um just a personal preference i guess there's nothing wrong with the way that she played the character to me it just i i guess i'm so used to the original brigitte nielsen's i like sonia blade oh you did yeah, yeah she was she... much lighter in this film than she was in the first film so they actually gave her a little bit more personality um but I think that's probably why I didn't like I it. Thought as she, much. Was quite, she was quite comical. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also could kick ass. And like, yeah. You know, um, but she could definitely hold her own in a fight. So that was yeah. that was good to see. Um, I thought that the it, the way that they kind of brought Kano in was interesting. Uh, he at first is an ally and eventually turns on them. Um, the reptile fight that happens early in the film between Sonya and Kano and Cole. Um, I had hoped for the human version of Reptile. Uh, so I was a little bit disappointed that they're fighting the sort of animal version. Um, but that was an interesting first fight. 
And the cheese factor or the sort of fan service in that fight when Kano rips out Reptile's heart and says, Kano wins. When that happened, I was like, oh, here we go. Like yeah. Game, oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. There, there were um, several points in the film that they said those perfect one-liners that I was like, yep, there it is. Uh, at some point when they finally meet Liu Kang, he says, it has begun. And I'm like, yes! It has begun. This is awesome. Um, there's another part where Kung Lao, uh, when he defeats his winged character, I don't even know who that character is from the games, uh, but he defeats her without ever taking a hit. So, of course, after he defeats her, he says, flawless victory, which was another moment that had me like screaming on my couch. Um, there are plenty of points like that in the film where it's a hundred percent fan service, but at the same time you expect it. There's no way that you're going to do a video game franchise that's 20 years old and not have fan service in it, because what's the point? Like, What, favorite, what would well, be yeah, the point I of fa- that? I had a favorite line. It was like, um, well, I'll come into like, my thoughts on all this in a minute, but like it was right at the very end. And obviously I'm sort of jumping ahead a little bit here. They, uh, as the movie so they obviously all end up at Raiden's sort of mountain palace thing, and they're all training and everything like it's that. It's a temple. Yeah, a temple. <laughs> I, I, I can't remember. I can't remember what they. I can't remember what they called it. I knew it was in the mountains. Yeah. And um, but they kind of mention uh, that when Scorpion died, he ends up in this hell dimension, etc. Yes. So Scorpion choke comes back right at the very end of the film. But I loved it when he came back. For me, that was like the best moment of the film. Oh my god! And, and he, oh, he, come, he comes in the Scorpion proper Mortal Kombat outfit. It's the first time you see him in this, and he throws his sort of like you just said his garden sort of yeah thingy, garden but, tool. But, but but like but it's actually now like on a chain rather than yes. a, ro- a rope. Before. Yeah. So he throws it at Sub Zero right at the very end, and you just hear him go, "Get over here!" Yeah. And, like, and I was like, I was like, yeah, like you know, now now like you know, it's like actually finally yeah getting good like and, um, but, <laughs> so I, I i love the whole fight between sub-zero and scorpion of course so, of course seeing that in the trailers that was actually the best bit for me in the trailers and i was like oh yeah finally. the whole film to me is worth it because because they took sub-zero and scorpion seriously everybody else is secondary to me um but the fact that they put so much into backstories for both Sub-Zero and Scorpion is what made this film. Um, the fight choreography between Sub-Zero and Scorpion was better, 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 better than everyone else's fight choreography, um, which uh, I'm sure has a lot to do with uh, with Joe and Hiroyuki just probably being better at it than some of these other folks. Although Louis Tan is, is fantastic, uh, is a fantastic martial artist, but... Um, Joe Tasleem as Sub-Zero was fantastic. His, that casting, um, he's so good. He's so menacing. And even behind the mask, he, he still emotes. He does a lot of emoting with his eyes and his eyebrows. Obviously, he has no choice because he, he wears the face mask for most of the film. Um, oh, but he's, he's so good. This is, it's, it was nice to have a Sub-Zero that actually talks uh versus in the first film i don't think sub-zero ever utters a word um so it's it's nice that there is the banter it's nice that there is that shit talking it's nice that you actually have a villain who is bad enough to pull the audience along 
throughout the film because normally like in the in the original film Shang Tsung is a bad guy period all of all of the other fighters that he has on his side they're all minions they don't really serve any sort of purpose the way that Shang Tsung drives the story forward as the main bad guy in this film however I thought of all the characters this version of Shang Tsung was the weakest of the entire cast um he's he's not scary he's not ruthless but he he is ruthless but like it doesn't come off as the, the he doesn't come off as the big bad he's kind of like to me he comes off as the middle management of villains like you're not quite a ceo of villainy but you know you're the guy who's like checking everybody's time cards uh so to have sub-zero be so badass so awesome so awful really 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 helped bring the film along and then to have scorpion kind of toe the line because by the time scorpion comes back he's definitely not a good guy because when he died he went straight to hell so he he spent centuries in hell and his dialogue at the very end of the film when he's like i have spent centuries perfecting like learning how to use hellfire because i could not wait for you to die so that i could meet you in hell and beat your ass is basically what he was saying to sub-zero and his fatality which was my favorite from the original game his fatality used to be he would rip off his mask and he had he was like skeletal underneath so he'd rip off his mask and then breathe fire and that's that would be his fatality to his opponents. And so when he took off his face mask and his teeth are all like black and discolored, and then he just like opens his mouth and breathes fire all over Sub-Zero, I lost my shit. I was like, oh my God, I rewound that like five times. Um, that was probably my favorite sequence in the whole film. Just just to oh, yeah. see his fatality on the on the screen like that, like that was fantastic. I was going to say, like, listening to you for the last sort of 15 minutes, your excitement obviously relates to the fact that you're a huge Mortal Kombat fan. Yes. Um, like, obviously, big gaming fan. I assume you enjoyed the previous movies. Um, did you see the animated uh, Scorpion? I have not seen the year? animated one, and I did not um, enjoy Annihilation. I love the first Mortal Kombat film. I hated the second one, um, and I have not seen the sequels. Did you watch any of the TV series? Because there was more combat TV series as well. Mm-mm. Just wondered. Did you know that um, Lewis um, Tan, who plays um, Cole Young, was in an episode of a more combat TV series? No, I did not know that. So um, I, I've never watched any of the more combat uh, TV series. More combat X Generations. He was in one episode called, and he was called Kung Jin. So I thought that was kind of cool that he is in 2015 that was. So he's um uh he showed up in quite a few sort of martial art type things. We, oh yeah, we he was in uh he was in Iron Fist. He in, was real pissed the- and real vocal about his casting in Iron Fist because he really wanted Marvel and Netflix to make Iron Fist Asian American as opposed to mm. making him a white guy. Um yeah. so he campaigned long and hard to play that character to play uh Danny and when he didn't get it, then they cast him in, in some minor role. He played like... He was in one episode. Not yeah, one show. episode of Iron Fist. And it was just kind of like, all oh, that martial arts talent. And that's that's all he gets. That sucks. 
He was into, into the Badlands as well. He's been in yeah. loads of things. So. Into the Badlands. If anybody is listening and you haven't seen Into the Badlands, but you really kind of love that mythical martial arts kind of thing, Into the Badlands is a fantastic series. It's fantastic. They they take lore to a whole new level. It's it's phenomenal. Um, I love that one. But yeah, it's it's hard for me. Like you were saying, I get really excited. It's hard for me to not be excited about Mortal Kombat because I have been such a fan of Mortal Kombat for so long. Mm. Um, I like I said, I I was not looking for uh, a wonderful screenplay. I was not looking for a serious story. I wanted to see this film for the graphics, for the fights, and for the shit talking. Like that's that's the reason that I wanted to see this film. And I, I got what I wanted out of this movie. Now, yeah. is that going to be universally accepted? No, I'm sure. <laughs> like, I'm sure so, a lot of people are like, "That's my way." Was terrible. <laughs> but uh, so I, I, um, I wouldn't say I hated it, but I didn't love it as much as you. So I obviously just on a critical point of view, like I, you know, I didn't like I said I didn't love the movie. Um, some of my points are, are opposite to yours, and you, you know, you've obviously got reasons behind that mainly your love of these characters and and you know and the whole mythology and the fighting essentially but i i sort of feel that they crammed way too many characters into this i would like to have seen maybe the cast them down a little bit especially on the villain side like i suddenly felt like at one point we had way too many villains at one point like that mm. whole like i even felt like um what's his name is it gore gore gog goro yeah goro yeah i honestly didn't think he should have been in this movie i think they should have saved that yeah he's they like, should have saved quite, it. He, like you know but i, I mean uh, shang Tsung picked up all the bodies so i'm assuming these people aren't going to be dead for very long yeah no I, I get that and that that kind of in a way annoys me a little bit because then you're like well does it ever end if, you, yeah. if they're just going to keep coming back then really yeah. it doesn't really matter if you kill someone if they're just going to bring them back again yeah so uh, hopefully they can address that and find a way of that stop happening. oh yeah this is definitely yeah. just a starting point this is this is nothing was wrapped up nothing was resolved we didn't even get to the freaking tournament in this in this movie so like everything that happened happened before the tournament started so i'm I'm super pumped about going forward because uh, Joe Tislim, who plays Sub-Zero, actually signed on to do four films in this franchise. So I'm guessing we're going to get a lot more Mortal Kombat content in the, in the coming years, which I'm all for it. Um, I, especially at the very end of the film, when Cole goes back and he's like his old manager is like, Hey man, I need you to fight in the ring, you know, tomorrow. And Cole's like, no man, sorry, I can't do it. And he's like, Oh, are you finally quitting? He's like, yeah, man, I'm going to Hollywood. And in my head, I'm like, the fuck, why are you going to Hollywood? And he's like, and so his manager's like, well, what are you going to do in Hollywood? He's like, Oh, it's not a what it's a who. And then he just walks by and all you see on the bottom of this poster is some ass hat wearing a belt and on the belt buckle, it says cage. And I'm like, yeah, we're finally getting Johnny Cage. So, so I'm super thrilled. Well, so like, oh, come back a little bit about my thing about my criticisms of it. Um, I know we, we talked about this before the uh, um, recording. I, as I was watching it and I, I've just actually looked it up just to double check, but I, as I was watching it, I was thinking, I would like to, because I love the scorpion scenes at the beginning and the end. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of my big criticisms was that Lewis Tan being a descendant, I didn't really care too much about that. Mm -hmm. I would like to, if maybe somehow it was his child, like I know that they said it was a daughter, but I, you know, just make it a boy. 
And I think I would have cared. A, a girl could more. fight too. No, oh, it no, could no, be no, a no, female no. Oh. scorpion. Oh no, no, no. I've got no problem with it being a female or a male, but I just meant because <laughs> I just meant because Cole was a boy, like a man, like yeah. you know, um, you know, if they'd have just put a boy baby in the thing, if equally yes, if it, if it had been a girl, that's fine. But but if um, it had focused on the actual child, not yeah, hundreds yeah, of yeah, years on the later, child, yeah, yeah, like yes. on the actual child. And when they jumped like four, five hundred years later, I was like, do we really care that it's a descendant? Like, not really. Like, it's not. I don't know. Like for me, I would rather that it had been the child. Um, and then what I'd like to have seen is more of a focused story around, say, Scorpion, his descendant slash child, Sub-Zero, streamed down to maybe four or five characters. And when I was watching it, I was thinking a lot about, um, and I know you sort of had an argument against maybe this not working, but the the Street Fighter movie that came out in, it was in 2009. Uh, it's called Legend of the Chun-Li. Now, I know it wasn't successful um, because they were hoping it would lead to a bigger movie. It was meant to be a reboot of Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. But but in that film, they did have, they obviously had Chun-Li, but they had other characters in it. Like they had Bison, they had mm-hmm. um, Vega, Balrog, um, they had, and they had a couple of others. E-Honda had a small, of, small part. Yeah, they had a sort of a real sort of slimmed down cast and mm-hmm. it then led to uh, a Street Fighter movie which unfortunately didn't happen because I don't think this movie was that popular. I liked it. And again, I did too. I, I liked it and do you know what, like I've got it in front of me IMDB 3.7 out of 10. <laughs> I like, did not think it was like, that bad. No, no, I, I, I actually, do you know, I've watched this a couple of times. I actually really like this film. Neil like, McDonough was fantastic as in Bison, which it's it's hard to, well, I mean not really hard, but like Raul Julia played the original in Bison in the first Street Fighter film, and he was so good as that character. But Neil McDonough was a Neil McDonough is such a good bad guy. Like he's good in just about everything he's in. Um, I would have loved a sequel to that Chun Li movie. I thought it was great. So I, I, you know, I'm not anti like these type of films. I just. It just, I don't know, there was something for me that was missing. And I, at the beginning, that first 10 minutes was just on Scorpion. I was really loving it. I was loving right. the what felt like to me a much, like, simplified. And it felt like they were going to really go over story and origin movie about Scorpion. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew it was got more combat, so I knew there was going to be other people in there. And I'd seen the trailers, so I knew that there was big fights and stuff. But I kind of was more on board with the... I even would have got on board with more, like, maybe sort of half an hour of, say, Scorpion, and then getting into more fighting and things like that. Um, I don't know, so that was just me. I, I did see an argument online that potentially, in this day and age of Disney Pluses and HBOs and Netflixes, could we not have had a Game of Thrones style TV series, like maybe six or eight episodes rather than this movie? And, you know, I, I don't know. But like you just said about the four movies, the only trouble is the four movies, though. It might be two years before we see a second one and then right. like three years. with two. So we're, at least with a TV series like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we've had six weeks of one hour. And actually they have been one hour shows, well, mm-hmm. maybe like 50 minutes or something like that. So it would have been good to have had just a little bit more for me fleshed out. Like I say, I'm not completely anti this whole thing. Okay, but let me ask you. When you watch the Fast and Furious films, do you really give a shit about the story or are you watching because of the cars and the stunts? No, I I do love the action. Yeah, like I do love Fast and Furious. Like I love the action. I'm not overly bothered about the story, but but I do like the story like as in i want it to make sense so um but again i guess if you look at fast and the furious though 
the nine films, it started with a much more slimmed down cast in the first movie. And it's only like now when we're up to uh, film nine, we've got like a cast of like 25. Mm-hmm. But you've had, well, I don't know how many, but, like, but, you've got, <laughs> but, that, but that cast has grown over the Right, over movies. the years, yeah. Yeah, so you started with four or five people in the first movie and not like, like say now, I don't know how many there is, 12 of them or something. And, you know, they're all, it is ridiculous. It, to be honest, Fast and Furious has got more ridiculous of each movie. <laughs> but... Like, but yeah, it was much more grounded. But the other thing, I actually, again, talking about the grounding thing, I actually think that they were not brave enough in this movie, that they should have embraced the different worlds. Like, I felt like, you know, being on Earth was almost too much. Like, they should have, I would like to have seen, like, on Outworld, and they could, I, I think that it would have been cooler if they'd have pushed more into the fantasy. Mm-hmm. So, um, I just think films like this have to know their audience. The problem with the Chun Li movie was. It was a video game movie disguised as a sort of coming of age drama, so to speak. And that did not work because it didn't appeal to either. It didn't appeal to the normal Hollywood, you know, fan base. And it certainly didn't appeal to the video game fan base. So you run the risk of not ever finding an audience at all if you start out too heavy or too serious or trying to be something that you were never meant to be in the first place. But that's why things like Fast and the Furious and Mission Impossible work. Like, no one gives a shit why Ethan is on the run. Like, Ethan is always on the run in Mission Impossible. And does it make sense that he's hanging off of a helicopter? Hell no. But do I like to see him hanging off of a helicopter flying over the Swiss Alps? Yep, sure do. <laughs> um, so I think it's it's one of those things where it's like, you you make a gamble at the very beginning before you make this film. And you decide, decisively decide, I am making this film for fans of the franchise, period. And when you make that decision, you really got to lean into it. And I think this film does a great job of that. It, it takes a lot of the original concepts. It takes a lot, of, a lot of the cheese that people are looking for, a lot of those familiar points, a lot of those haha inside joke moments. Mm. And it manages to put them all together into a package that fans of Mortal Kombat will enjoy. Now, if other people that are not fans of the film enjoy it, that's great, but they made this film for the game audience, and I Mm. think that the game audience is going to appreciate it. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't have its shortcomings, uh, but if it does, I can't, I'm I'm not looking at them. The same way that I don't care what happens, I don't care how many Fast and Furious films there are, we could have Fast and Furious 29 where they're freaking wheelchair racing in a nursing home like and I would still watch it that's just that I have already put my cards on the table for that franchise and I have done the same for Mortal Kombat like it I'm gonna watch it I'm gonna continue to watch it but I did love it I would have loved more fighting in here um I think that's probably between um, wishing that there had been more fights and wishing for a stronger more brutal version of Shang Tsung um, those those are my two complaints for for this film. I, 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 in terms of what I love, though, I thought Sonya Blade and Kano were, were great. Like I, mm-hmm. I actually did like them as actors. I loved the banter as well, the acting, yeah. uh, sorry, the humor. I loved the, the fact that she was like, yeah, yeah, I'll pay you three million, whatever. And then, then um, uh, Kano goes, oh, yeah. Cole goes, so have you got three million? She's like, hell no. Hell I, live no I live in this shit hole. <laughs> like, and, like, and so there was a lot of good banter I felt between them all. Yeah. I did, to be honest though, I 
really like Sonia was probably was up there with one of my favorite characters along with Scorpion. Mm-hmm. Scorpion was probably my favorite, and then Sonia. I wasn't overly keen on uh Cole Young. I just felt like he's a little bit wooden as an actor, but you know, maybe stronger in the martial arts, so maybe that's where he, you know, his strengths more lay. Um, I loved Lord Raiden. Lord Raiden was, was oh, yeah, pretty he was cool. great. So yeah, yeah I, I thought that was pretty cool. There was, uh, to be honest, though, like there, I did feel the acting was generally quite strong. Like even with what I would say was probably a weak script, mm-hmm. but supported by quite a strong cast. But see, that's um, that's the thing, and and even though they they didn't give Shang Tsung enough material to work with. Joe was so strong with Sub-Zero and uh, Tadanobu was so strong as Raiden that they they pull you in just because they carry the weight of the scene. So whenever there was a scene where Sub-Zero was in it, even if he wasn't talking, like mm. you could feel like, oh shit, something is, something is about to go down in this scene or somebody about to die right now in this scene. Um, so I think having those really, really strong characters helped um but yeah like there's there's plenty of random things between some of the other characters uh one of my new favorite lines uh from the film was after uh mccad brooks is fighting um reiki i think is the character the character with the big hammer that he's fighting and uh when he finally wins now that his akane turn out to be like big buff robotic arms and he just kind of looks down at his arms and he's like, oh, yeah, these motherfuckers work. And I was like, oh, yeah, I love that line. <laughs> so I, I I I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think I think the banter between them, like I, I, I thought it was kind of funny that uh, Liu Kang, who's played by Ludi Lin, was still kind of on the fringe, like not necessarily funny, but like not not completely aloof. Uh, and it it really kind of reminded me like that's how Liu Kang was in the original, where it's just kind of like you're you're not very good at making friends with other people. Yet by the end of the film, you're kind of like, well, I kind of love you. Like this is fantastic. Um, and it was really fun to see Liu Kang's signature move of the air kicks. So uh, I I really enjoyed when when he got to use those. So that was fun. Oh yeah, I forgot to say as well. I loved Kate Brooks as Jax as well. Who. Pretty much, McCade has been in most sort of CW type shows, mm-hmm. and um, like I, I know him mainly from Supergirl, and he never really felt at home in Supergirl. But I thought he did pretty well in this. So oh yeah, I think he should find a new home in action <laughs> movies. Yeah, so. I loved him in True Blood. Um, he was in the first two seasons of True Blood. I can't remember. Like, I yeah, he was Tara's True boyfriend Blood. for a while. Oh, I can't remember that. Like, uh, anyway. yeah, his name was Eggs. Because his name was Benedict, and so oh, she called him Eggs. I remember, yeah, I yeah. remember that. Like, yeah. but I didn't remember it was him. So yeah. he should stick to stuff like that. The CW, like, just I didn't find it worked for him on Supergirl. He kind yeah. of stood out there. So. I I anyway. enjoyed everybody. Uh, I I think if I had to pick one favorite, of course, my my favorite is Scorpion, and um, I just Hiroyuki Sonata. I love him. I I I love most of the stuff that he's in. Um, and I'm. It's it's nice to see him actually. I don't. I mean, I don't watch too many Japanese films. Watch lots of anime, but not too many films. So uh, it was actually nice to see him just kind of speaking Japanese and not having to to succumb and speak English. So that was cool. I enjoyed it. I want more, definitely more of this Mortal Kombat world. 
So we'll leave our review there. And um, Jasmine, what have you rated? <laughs> five out of five, of course. <laughs> That was a uh, I we that was the first time I was like oh, I don't want to compromise Mark I want to give this movie a five and Mark was like no this movie's like a three at best it's like no no it's a five I've allowed Jasmine to have a rating <laughs> I wouldn't give it a five so <laughs> I, I was like somewhere between a one and a three <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I again, I understand. I, I am not looking at this with a critical eye. Uh, I am, I am completely looking at this as a self-serving. Like I loved the shit I out think of this film. Five, five for a fan, but not fans. Not going to give it a five. So. Yeah. Well, I feel again, about this film the way that I felt about the first Transformers. I was so stoked about the first Transformers film, and to me, the first Transformers film did not disappoint. Now, as far as the four that came afterwards, that's a different story. Um. But a lot of people would ask me, like, how can you be so sure that you're going to love this film? And I'm like, I love Transformers. I have loved Transformers since literally since I was born. Like, yeah, Transformers. Bumblebee was the best Transformers movie. Bumblebee. Bumblebee. Yes, so I good. have. I wouldn't say that oh. at all. The first Transformers movie is the best. I think because they just got like, they're just all so terrible. Like, I, I, I love that first Transformers movie. In fact, I love the second one too. But, um, uh, but then they just go so bad. And then I watched Bumblebee actually only recently. And I was like, this is actually a really good film. Bumblebee like, has a lot of heart, but uh, yeah. Optimus Prime is and always will be my favorite Transformer. So, yeah, I got it. First first Transformers. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, one day we'll revisit Transformers. Uh, <gasps> yeah. Let's I, to be do honest, that. I, haven't, I haven't watched the last one of it. I gave yeah, it I haven't seen the one so. with Stanley Tucci. That's I um, I have not seen that one. So I gave up in the end with Transformers. It's just getting more ridiculous. So yeah. anyway, to the part of the show where we recommend something. So I um and myself, Jasmine and myself will sort of mention something that we may have read or listened to or something we've done that week that isn't on our normal list. So this week actually I've kind of been jotting around the social media world and actually met a few other podcasters that I didn't know existed, uh, including one, which has got a brilliant name, called Stoner Chicks Podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> just like to put it out there that I do not do any drugs or smoke any weed or do anything remotely. I might have, a, I, to be honest, I don't even really drink anymore. I might have the odd beer. That's about it. So, however, this podcast is 30 minutes of four female comedians hanging out, and they kind of discuss stuff around weed <laughs> so they 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 took like one i thought actually one of them was quite good so i listened to two or three episodes this week and one episode they actually were just chatting about a book that they'd read which was about somebody who was a child growing up in a um a family that, that grew and sold marijuana and and i actually thought this is actually really interesting because she was talking about how she didn't live a normal life in, mm -hmm. in the book this is and how she couldn't have friends around and and then and they were just sort of talking about all these different things and they were sort of talking about um you know origins of of elf like edibles and and, and all, all this kind of stuff and i was like thinking actually they're not although they were having a laugh and there was banter between them they were all very intelligent like women giving actually quite a sort of a funny but interesting and critical view on on the world of marijuana and uh, yeah okay they sort of mentioned a little bit about what they're smoking here and there but it didn't feel to me like the opposite of what i've heard the you know the, i've heard i've heard a couple of them recently and in the past of just frat boys sitting around drinking beer on a podcast just recording themselves 
chatting in their front room and you're like why am I listening to people just hanging out in their front room yeah these people it's hard to get into those kind because uh like a lot of those they're they're friends right and naturally as friends when you're talking to each other you have inside jokes but when they get to the part with the inside jokes you're like I well as just a listener like I'm not in on these inside jokes like I don't get it but these people like it had that whole feel of a someone in their front room having a chat but it, it it felt structured although there was like like you say the inside joke type humor they kind of explain any sort of inside jokes as they're going along you know and and that kind of thing and and it just felt like actually four intelligent women but they made their topic interesting and funny and it's not a it's, i would never have normally looked this up but they followed us on on uh, twitter and we sort of i followed them back and i just thought you know i'm gonna check them out and i was like actually i quite like this like, <laughs> like it's just it's just you know interesting really so yeah definitely go and listen to these stoner chicks podcasts so uh my recommendation this week is uh, a little cheesy but it's just it's a series i found on crunchyroll i really enjoyed it it's 12 episodes it's very short very sweet uh it's called the case files of the jeweler richard uh basically it's kind of about this guy who got into gemstones and and selling jewelry and that kind of thing and uh got into some trouble had a dramatic family had a very weird childhood wound up in japan he's originally from england wound up in japan and uh just interesting the way that he meets people the way that he talks to people it kind of reminds me a little bit of sherlock holmes but just without the murder it's kind of he he's astute and he listens he pays attention and he reads people very well uh so it's just a really kind of interesting slice of life story um not really too much to it it's like i said 12 episodes i enjoyed it it's a very light anime uh not much to get into so that's that's my recommendation for this week so next week we are reviewing the first season of the netflix anime series yasku i think i say so yeah yasuki sorry i'm terrible no worries. Uh, like anyway <laughs> And then we are reviewing this month's pilot season, and I am really excited for this. We're Me gonna, too. Well, yeah, it's, you know, we're going to review the first episode of Fringe. So I've actually watched this many times yeah. already. So. By the way, um, if you want to follow along with any of that, the uh, you can watch the entire run of Fringe on IMDb, IMDb TV for free with ads. I assume that's probably just in America. I don't think you can do that over here. Oh, you can't? Really? I don't know. I don't think we have IMDb TV. Bummer. I don't know. Yeah, I just looked it up. It is available to US customers at this time only. So. Boo. Um, Unless you have a VPN, I assume. So. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> and as that's a reminder, we did start a second podcast series where we tackle some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. Our fifth Late to the Party Book Club episode was March Volume 1 by Andrew Iden and the late Congressman John Lewis. Our next episode is going to be dropping real, real soon. We are going to be reading Akira Volume 1 by Katsuhiro Tomo. In fact, it will be out next week at some point. Mm-hmm. So you can also follow us on social media. We are Geeks Unleashed everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Please give us a follow and come say hello. In fact, actually, I've said hello to quite a few people this week, and it's been really cool to, uh, to sort of meet people around the world. In fact, somebody the other day messaged me from Toronto. So 
just say hello. We're not shy. Yeah, we don't bite. Back. We're friendly. Yeah. And you can also get this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Uh, tune in, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google, we're everywhere. So please give us a five-star review and be sure to tell your geeky friends. Thank you very much. Cheers for listening. Have a good week. Bye.